2: Welcome back to another episode of We're All A Little Crazy, brought to you by the hashtag Same Here Global Mental Health Movement. I'm your host, Eric Hewson, along with co-host Theo Fleury. Theo, our buddy Darren, could not make it tonight, so this is the first where you and I are going co-pilot. Um, but this one in particular, I think, is a really important one. We say that at the beginning of every show, but this one in particular, we did the most recent episode on the DeMar Hamlin incident, and we had... Uh, Aaron Taylor on. And we talked about that topic through the lens of our shared trauma that we experience from so many different angles. And as this show is based on current event topics that happen and the way in which current event topics can be the launching point through which we discuss this topic of mental health and look at how society as a whole is impacted. It would be hard to go through the end of January, beginning of February of 2023, and not talk about the incident that happened with Tyree Nichols. little bit of detail on there. My guess is most people listening to this know most of the background, so maybe I'm filling in some details for folks who haven't followed this closely. Incident happens in Memphis on January 7th. Tyree Nichols is 29 years old. He's taking pictures of the sunset, which is a hobby of his driving home, gets pulled over. What we're told is a traffic violation, though there's not a lot of information out there in terms of what the traffic violation was. The video that we see pulled out of the car without much conversation by five police officers. Again, this happens on January 7th. And now all of a sudden, kind of let's continue down the path because it's a while before there's a video released on any of this. And we don't know much of what's going on. His family, Tyree's family, is is seeing what's going on because Tyree unfortunately succumbs to the injuries from the beating that happened at the hands of the police officer three days after the event. So pulled over on January 7th, unfortunately dies on January 10th. The officers, the five officers are arrested on January 20th, charged with murder on the 26th and they're different charges because some were involved in physically beating, some were involved in watching and not intervening. And then the 27th comes around and the video is released to the public and we all see it. And I would say universally, wherever you are at on the political landscape, wherever you are at on the racial landscape, there's a lot of different opinions of the intricacies within those. But I don't I have not spoken to a person yet who didn't watch those beatings on on uh, on camera. That's what they were. They were beatings and is not absolutely appalled by what they saw. And so using the backdrop of the Demar Hamlin situation, the way we try to bring these conversations into the forefront, Theo, as most people know, is a survivor of sexual abuse. Okay, How does sexual abuse apply to Tyree Nichols? a young 29-year-old black man. Theo is a white guy at 16 years old who was sexually abused by his male coach. We're going to get into that. One of the guests today, Reggie Walker, become a good friend in this space, NFL veteran, seven years in the NFL, Chargers, Cardinals, big-time defensive linebacker. And Reggie and I were just at an event. Big part of his story, sexual abuse, between the ages of four and 12 years old, not by a coach like Theo's was. In his case, it was a family friend slash neighbor. And Reggie bottles it up for some time. And then what we typically try to do on these shows is bring someone in who's got a expertise on a clinical lens perspective in their schooling. Um, And so Dr. Carolyn Ross is someone who's an author, a speaker. She's an expert in integrative uh, uh, medicine. She uh, studied with Andrew Weil. She She's someone who's become a friend as well as part of this overall alliance that we have. She's a founder of the Institute for Anti-Racism and Equity. And she has her own, in addition to where Carolyn's going to be able to chime in here, is she has her own personal tie to, to, to these stories. She has her own personal tie to trauma and the view through which she witnessed and watched this event take place. And so, you know, Theo, since you're my co-host on this, I just want to start with you from a personal life perspective, because Mm -hmm. most people who are going to hear me address this this way and hear the way that our organization is addressing this is going to go, big friggin' deal, Eric, like, how does Theo and Theo's experience at all apply to what we just saw? He's never, I don't know if you've been in Memphis before, Theo, but- whether you have or you haven't, like, he's not from Memphis. He doesn't spend a lot of time there. He's not the same race as the guy who was beaten up. It wasn't at the hands of police officers. Where is the tie-in, and why Why does this affect Theo in some way? So I thought bringing in your personal experience would be the good first entree point to this. Sure.
3: Well, it, you know, I, I look at everything through a trauma lens, right? And, you know, if you watch the incident, if you watch the video, you know, Um, you know and I work I work in the prison system I work with people who work with people in the prison system Uh, you know I've done many workshops with police first responders you know all, all the people and what we discovered is most of those people have already been predisposed to trauma in their life. And so when I was watching that scene, I was watching these police officers acting out their unresolved trauma on this, on this guy. Right. And why does it have to go to that level is because I believe it's because of unresolved trauma issues. And I know you know, the anger and the rage that I carried around for the majority of my life. And fortunately, I played a game where uh, I could be violent. I could be rageful without any consequences attached to my behavior. Well, you know, these these five or six police officers who are involved in this incident are now ha- going to have to face some pretty stiff, Consequences, which is going to have an effect, a trickle down effect on their families, their wives, their kids, right? Because they no longer can make a living. So they're leaving, you know, that behind. So there's, 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 it's the thing about trauma is there's so many layers that we don't actually see how many people that that particular incident is going to affect, right? It's not only the victim and the people who committed the crime, but there's a whole bunch of other people. And, you know, the people who've experienced that kind of violence in their life, watching that is going to re-trigger them, bring up old uh, feelings and thoughts and, and all that stuff. So, so we, and that, and that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying, because I personally, I believe, because I've been in this space for, you know, 15 years, I really believe that trauma is at the core of every single issue we have in society, unresolved trauma in some way, shape, or form. And then we act out on the um, unmanageability of our own, feelings that we haven't dealt with so as i'm watching that video even though i'm not connected to it in any way shape or form as an advocate that's what i see from my experience and dealing with so many people who have all different kinds of trauma in their life you know not only does does that incident affect the people that were involved but the the, the trickle-down effect and the, uh, you know, the stone in the pond, you know, it just goes outward. And, uh, you know, over the last three years, what I've noticed is that, you know, we are watching trauma 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right?
2: And that's, that's how I view that. Well, it's, it's, I I could see Carolyn shopping at the bit because there's, uh, you know, being friends of both of you, I I always see, I always see so much similarities in what you say. And for everyone who's listening to the show, it's the first time you guys have been on the show together. Theo, before I pass it off, because you said something that I think is going to really resonate, the sport that you played enabled you to act out your rage out on the ice, and I, it's going to relate to what Reggie's going to say. And I'm, I'm taking Reggie's words away from him because I heard him talk the other night and he said almost the same thing. Granted, yours was hockey, his was football. But, but what I want to know, Theo, is... Well,
3: and why do you, why do you think we gravitate towards those type of uh, job opportunities? Because we we know unconsciously, right, that we're going to be able to get away with this stuff, right? So it's like we already know that we have this issue but we haven't dealt with it well we know we're going to be able to act out
2: but did you in, so, so I'm, I'm hearing that on and I, and I want to put a pin in that because i want we're going to get to the actions of the officers i think that's something that we're all collectively going to have to deep dive into my specific question for you theo is as someone who is the victim of sexual abuse in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, in in a completely different area of the world, did did watching that elicit, did looking in the eyes of the officers make you think of your abuser? Did watching the rage come about remind you of anything? And your answer could be no, because I healed. But if you look at the core of what happened from a personal perspective, in a visceral way, what was your reaction to it?
3: First and foremost, yeah, of course, it's going to bring up feelings from the past. Um, But, you know, ultimately, um, you know, I because I'm I'm a spiritual guy, too, you know, I see it as here's another lesson. Here's another opportunity for us to dissect this whole thing and make sure that this never happens again. That I don't have to see this ever again in the history of my life. And we talked about it on the last show. Upping our game, right? So yeah, first I had a, I had a, uh, a neurological and chemical response to watching it. But then secondly, you know, I tried to look at through the lens of compassion and empathy, and and how do we how do we stop these kind of incidents how do we stop this kind of behavior because you know i just saw a whole bunch of unresolved issues that in the moment i think everybody's intention at the beginning was to get to some sort of resolution but all it takes is one word or or a look or some different energy then it ignites the other person's stuff and then all of a sudden we have this this poor guy that gets beaten to death and in right? fairness because because in fairness, we be, because, because, we're like we don't know the details where, we unless, don't know the details
2: because be, I, I always yeah. say that theo because you're right rage and anger mm-hmm. and Carolyn's going to help us decipher this when we bring her in mm-hmm. rage builds off of builds off of builds right and 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 how does one thing lead to another I saw an incident where, I mean, watching that video, it didn't look like that dude did anything. It looked like someone just literally jumped in the car and pulled him out, right? And so it's going to be very interesting what comes out of the details of this. You know, Reggie, as you hear Theo sharing, of course, there was a neurochemical reaction, Similar question to you, right? Like, you know, you, you share what you've shared about what happened to you between four and 12. You did it in the last episode. You certainly can refresh people. But I, I think there's a commonality here of like, I'll give my own personal situation unrelated to the Tyree Nichols thing. When we were talking about the Tua situation and I watched him get into that frozen up pose where his hands froze, I shared with everyone, like I watched that incident on the field and I was like, oh my God, not in a TBI type of way, but I know what it's like to have that brain freeze where you're locked in that moment, and it brought me into him almost in a way. Like I viscerally felt what he was going through in that moment. So so similar question to you, Reggie, that I had relative to Theo is, what were you feeling, thinking, observing as you're watching whatever you watched it on the tape? It just really takes, it's like... Walking through the portal of pain, you're
4: just walking straight through it. And it takes you right back to because you understand after going through so much pain, you know, and then you see and then you see someone else going through that pain. You know, whether it's mental, physical, sexual, emotional, whatever, uh, traumatic pain. And it, it it breaks your heart, but it it but it makes you feel helpless. And it takes you right back to, you know, that feeling that was such a catalyst in why you are the way that you were. And you remember it, and you remember, and, and just seeing it—it is—it is triggering in a lot of ways for a lot of different reasons. But when you're seeing someone go through that amount, that much, that much pain, um, it always takes you back. It, it, it's. You don't want it to because you don't want it to, you know, You of course you don't want to feel that pain again. You don't want it to be there again. You don't want to have to deal with it again. But it takes you right back there every single time. Um, that's why it's, it's really difficult for me to watch things like that. Um, you know, I try to educate myself to know that it happened. But as far as just, you know, like Theo was saying, every single day, This is what we're just getting pumped through. Like shooting here, shooting there, someone got this bad thing happened there, this bad thing happened there. It's just all you hear is bad things all the time. And then if for me to maintain my mental health and my mental stability, I can't listen or watch that stuff all the time. You just can't.
1: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have?
2: So, so Reggie, I mean, it's, it's fascinating because it's, I always look for like what are transitions. And as I want to bring Dr. Ross into this, you know, when I was talking with Dr. Ross yesterday about having her on the show, you know, she was bringing up like Eric societally, we're seeing more and more and more than we've ever seen before. Right. And so Dr. Ross, um, Reggie brought up triggers, right. And then Theo brought up, it brought an emotional response, a chemical response is what it felt like, but then I also have the compassion and empathy side of me. So for everyone else out there who's listening, what, my first question for you, and, and you could you could talk about this through a clinical lens, you could talk about it through a everyday person lens. I think that's the beauty of an integrative practitioner. They they do such a great job of explaining an everyday person language is what is a trigger? Like like what? why do people get triggers? How, how do we define what triggers are? And then how does someone get to a place like what theo described where the trigger is not as heavy anymore and we're we're healed enough where we can look at things at a different level and go how can i use this situation as awful as it was to make things better and to put compassion and empathy into it
5: yeah i think in order to answer that question eric you have to really understand what causes trauma, and I'm not talking about, you know, the actual event like sexual abuse or ne- neglect or any of that. It's it's really that, uh, especially the adverse childhood experiences study has shown that trauma is caused by what we call toxic stress. So it throws particularly a child, anyone under 18, into this fight, flight, reaction, which literally changes the way their brain is wired. And so once that happens, even with healing, you can have that fight flight reaction be triggered over and over and over again. And that's what it means to be triggered, that you may have sensations, you may have smells come back to you from your own trauma, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And, you know, I, I do a lot of work with soldiers living in uh, San Diego here um, and I've also you know worked with first responders and what I see is just a complete lack of recognition of how these professions themselves cause cause trauma and secondly just as Theo said, how many of these soldiers, are attracted to high risk professions or first responders attracted to high risk professions because they themselves have had pretty severe trauma growing up. I mean, when I sit in my office and listen to stories of, you know, people who have come to me for depression or for addictions or, you know, other um, problems, it's, it is, You know, it's shocking to think. And then, as you said, when you look at the broader society, where America is known as the most violent country in the world, you know, not just among, like, okay, we're more violent than Britain or Germany or France, but we're more violent than third world countries. We're the most violent country in the world. And yet... Schools are not teaching about this. You know, nobody's preparing parents to deal with this in all areas of society where trauma shows up. I have a saying that is wherever you go, you take your trauma with you. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's obvious, of course, but, you know, it affects your parenting. It affects how you manage money. It affects how you take care of your body you know it it affects your mood it affects all it affects your work productivity and so on so wherever you go you take your trauma with you
2: you know i'm I'm smiling the uh, folks that i'm on here with see me smiling and you say how could you be smiling during a a topic of conversation like what happened with Tyree nichols i'm smiling because I've been in this space now for five years, uh, Not didn't choose to get in the space, right? It chose me because I had the unresolved toxic stress that led to the crash that happened. But I'm smiling because Dr. Ross and Theo have never met each other. Reggie's in the same boat here. It, we we And I hear these people come together and I hear Dr. Ross talk about it through a clinical lens And I hear her using Theo's words that I hear all the time. And I hear Reggie describing, and I hear him describing things through Theo's words that he uses all the time. And the beauty to that to me is when the light bulb goes on and you start to see the world in this way, you can't unsee it, which to to, to Reggie's point is a little difficult, right? Because it, it does trigger you. And so you have to be careful. But at the same time, it allows you to see the patterns in such a way that you can remove yourself a little bit and go, I can interject my knowledge here, my experience here and help, right? And so, so one of the commonalities of what you all shared, I, I want you to dive each of you a little bit more into it. I don't think the average person thinks about this because we all choose our profession and we're, oh, I chose accounting or being a lawyer or being a doctor or being, you know, whatever, because that's what I was good at, right? But think about what Dr. Ross said off the heels of Theo saying, well, I was able to act it out in hockey. And th- I remember two days ago, uh, Reggie, when you were talking to an orthodox group of Jewish people who are not NFL players, and you're like, getting on the field was my outlet to putting it out there. And then, you know, Dr. Ross, your your example on top of that was people who are attracted to first responder and service community, right? I want everyone who's listening to take a step back on that and and think like, do some people get into professions less so because this is what my skill set is? And, and it's, it's obviously not a, a, a 100% to 0% issue, but is a part of why they get into what they get into because there's so much unresolved in them they need a way to get it out there because they've not been able to to address it in some other way yeah dr ross you seem like like
5: i'm a perfect example of that while i probably always always would have been a doctor i was the oldest of five kids and my mother probably was bipolar they didn't have that diagnosis back then Um, my dad worked like three four jobs to support the you know five kids and so i was the mother i took care of all the kids I was the responsible one in the family. So I didn't really have a childhood. So I went straight from not having a childhood to being responsible for all my patients and feeling like I had to, you know, I had to take care of them to the same degree I took care of, of my siblings. And I think that, that, I mean, it's fine, but that cost me, you know, I had a lot of, I've had more than one episode of burnout where and one which lasted two full years where i couldn't practice and that was a a direct result of my own trauma growing up and how i then you know reacted and interacted with my profession in a way that wasn't healthy for me
2: you're making me self-reflect so much because i'm not a doctor but i got into sports and i'm like oh i got into sports because i love sports right because i was an athlete and then i'm like wait a second Sports was one of those industries where you work seven days a week. <laughs> you get in at seven in the morning. You don't leave till midnight. You There's abuse yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like I, part of what I was attracted to about sports was I got to leave the personal stuff that I had to deal with, with my brother's unresolved stuff and my friends passing away. It was my distraction point. Right. And I, I've always known, like I've shared that before Theo knows that, but the picking of the profession You just gave me like a a tidbit that I hadn't thought about. Like, was I attracted? Because I watch people out there in other industries and they're like, nope, five o'clock, I'm done. It's my time. It's personal time. And I've never had that mindset. And and that doesn't mean one's right or one's wrong. It's like, wow, I almost wish I could know what that's like to go personal is really important. I need to turn things off right now. I'm going to shut it down. Yeah, that was never my that, comfort zone.
5: That's wherever you go, you take your trauma with you into your profession, et cetera. So interesting. So, so Reggie, I, I, so- had, I had one comment to make about because yeah. I'm with Reggie about Tyree and what happened to him. I cannot watch the video. I can barely read about it. Uh, you know, I've educated myself about it. But like I told you, Eric, when I start reading about it, uh I have just a tremendous amount of emotion come up and it's all I can do to just, you know, look at those words, the description of him as a human being, a person who likes to take photographs, a person who uh, skateboards, a person who, you know, just liked to go his own way. He was a little bit quirky. It sounds like all of those human components make how he, he was killed almost unbearable because what happened to him with the police officers was he was not treated as a human being. You know, he was treated as a thing, as an interruption, as a whatever, a threat to them, whatever their um, MO was playing, whatever was rolling out in their minds. And then the second Second way, which you and I talked about is, you know, as a as a mother. So I lost my middle son when he was twenty nine. So there's obvious parallels. There's obvious parallels there. But, you know, even when George Floyd was murdered, I felt the same way. I felt like I know as a black mother, these our boys, our sons. they are babies. I don't care how old they are, and my my sons. I have had three sons, and the ones who are surviving, they get irritated with me. Like, mom, I'm not your baby. You know, I'm like, you are my baby, <laughs> and you will always be my baby. And when I think about, you know, my baby being treated like a thing, like an inhuman thing, it just it just breaks my heart. Yep. You know, and I I rec- I. I I identify with these mothers so much, and I don't see why all mothers, white, black, Hispanic, whatever, aren't saying the same thing. These are our babies.
2: Yeah. You know, it's it, Caroline. And you could you could not answer this question if it's not comfortable for you. But having a child that you lost age to age, I didn't know that until you told me that. So it breaks my heart to hear the 29 to 29. Even though you, and this, you know, the concept the same here is that we can find commonalities even in the differences. Mm-hmm. The fact that you lost your son to suicide, okay, versus a, a son being lost here to a brutal beating.
5: Both lost it, to pain. Both, okay.
2: Yeah. I, people, I, people don't to hear
5: commit that. suicide unless they're in a lot of pain. Yep. And this, you know, this guy, this, you know, he he went out in a in a flurry of pain, extreme pain and just, you know, just heartbreaking to to know that.
2: Well, you as you're as you're describing your own personal experience. And then I think moms generally, when you talk about he was quirky, he was taking pictures, you know, at the sunset, it makes him more human. You and I were also talking the other day, Carolyn, about the loss of public figures, right? And so like Kobe Bryant's loss and the amount of um, just grief that was pouring out of people when that happened. Now, don't get me wrong, Kobe Bryant had, there are some questions there about, you know, things that had gone on personally. So I know it's a controversial topic when you bring it up, but the positives of Kobe, of being a creator, an artist, A father, you know, a girl dad, an incredible player, entrepreneur. It's somebody's baby. It's somebody's baby, right? And and but it's someone's baby, but it's also our baby in a way, right? Like outside of the mother piece, like we watched this guy and fell in love with him, the person. And I, when you're describing Tyree, that's where my mind goes. Like when you find out details about the individual, it makes the loss that much harder. As as you're watching watching that take place. Um, you know, Reg, as 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 you're thinking specifically, because I, I do think we need to dive into the Tyree like he specifically a little bit more. I know you said you had to keep your distance from it. How much does, in your, in your opinion, and, and and I ask this for everyone who's listening, I want people to know Reggie's background. Like Reggie grew up, he's a military brat. He grew up in Black neighborhoods, he grew up in white neighborhoods. He grew up in mixed neighborhoods. He grew up different places where his perspective comes from different spots. As, as a black man, does it make it harder to watch that because of who the victim was? And that might be a really ignorant question for the white dude here who's moderating to ask that. But it, it's got to be asked so that people hear the answer to the question. It does. Because of the
4: fact that, you know, I've, I told you, you know, off the recording that, you know, I've had my situations where I've had guns to the back of my head. I've been, you know, pulled over unjustly. I've had my run-ins um, that, you know, I didn't think were just, um, you know, and you, as far as like being, you know, stereotyped and all that, that's, you know, I've gotten the full gambit of that. Um it does it does affect you because you understand that each time I was in one of those situations, you understand, you know, it, it takes you back from you you remember what your parents taught you, like, hey, if this happened, like don't act up, do this. You're supposed to be this way, make sure they can see your hands, make sure that this happens. Because you have to teach your kids this being being, you know, a person of color, that this is how you need to interact with the police especially and i'm a big guy too and um you know i have a face that could scare small children at times so <laughs> i i understand that when it comes down to to circumstances like that that i i have to really kind of put it on in a way um like really try to you know unbear myself you know i'm a big bear man i need to unbear myself i need to kind of tone it down i need to make sure that i'm very respectful, out of my way respectful um, to go, to make sure that something like this doesn't happen. But every time you get pulled over, every time um, something like this happens, you always kind of go back to yourself and you, you kind of consider yourself lucky in a lot of ways um, because you just never know. And it, and it is a scary thing because even, you know, I've been pulled over in my own neighborhood walking, you know, walking at night, and I live in a nice neighborhood, and it's predominantly white. And, you know, I'm a big black dude, and I, I, I take walks at night because I have anxiety, and it helps me get to sleep. Um, and it's it, and you're scared every time. And, you know, I'm a big dude. I can fight a lot of people. I could beat a lot of people's ass. I could do all that other stuff. But, you know, I'm not beating a gun. And it's it, it's one of those things that, you know, it always kind of – goes in your head when you're going through situations, you really do just consider yourself lucky. Um, and it kind of hammers in the fact that the things that you've heard when you're a kid, how you need to act, how you need to be. Um, it's unfortunate, but you know, this is one of the most violent places in the world and you just understand that because it's, it's not even just with the police. You understand, like if I was going to an outdoor mall in Denver, you know, I'm, I have my, I have my head on this level. Because you just never know nowadays with everything. It just pops up anywhere at any time. You never know today's going to be today. So it's now with that, you know, you could even make the argument that there's a lot of people right now that have a lot of collective trauma from all of these events that are going on. Not just with the police shootings, but just the other shootings, the school shootings, the stabbings, rapings, all the things that are going on. Because this is all in all a very violent place.
5: Well, one of the things you were just what you're talking about is the vicarious trauma. And when Theo was talking about um, having compassion for police departments, first responders and so on, just have to realize that they are being traumatized and triggered over and over and over because they're dealing with violence over and over and over. So we do have to you know, recognize that. And nobody's giving them trauma informed care either. Um, however, for Americans watching at home, vicarious traumatization happens as well because we're sitting there, many was, I think the the adverse child experiences study said 63% of Americans have at least one traumatic event in their history and one in five have four or more, which is considered severe. And so if you're one of the ones who has four or more and you're watching something like this happen, then yeah, there's going to be a lot of vicarious trauma.
2: CEO is raising his hand, Carolyn, because I saw that. And, well, because uh-uh. as you say, sixty-three percent, and it's we're all going to agree on this because the examples that you gave when we were talking last night, you said the earliest memories that you have of trauma are JFK's assassination, RFK's assassination, MLK's assassination, and and look, I I'm someone who works with Dr. Vincent Faletti. Who who invented that adverse childhood experience study? And I've even challenged him. I'm like, Dr. Filletti, it's not 63 percent; it's 100 percent because it's. And, and I know we're just throwing the numbers out there, Carolyn. And, and it's well, it's, he,
5: it's, he's he's restrained by his study exactly, which exactly. only studied a certain number of events. Yes. But I think he would admit, like bullying is not on there, and bullying is huge now. Yes. Huge starting back with Clinton and the Clinton administration, and uh, the woman who was uh, cyber bullied, you know, with him. I'm blocking on her name right now, but you know, that's when it started to really get big, and it's just gotten worse. And that's not part of the ACE study, so yeah.
2: Theo, what so, role, uh, did I take your words, or were you going a different no? Path?
5: no and I just it, it's
3: it's kind of sad that that we we as a society don't fully understand the impact that, you know, trauma has in the mental health space, you know, like they don't connect, they don't connect the two, right. You know, they. we're led to believe that one day we wake up in the morning and we have mental illness. You know, that's how, you know what I mean? That's how, that's how it's projected out there. And uh, you know, it, it, and then the healing process, you know, is the rest of your life. Like, it's not, you know, it's not, you know, there isn't, there is no magic pill because I tried them all. I tried them all. 100%. And, and, you know, it's, it's just about self-reflection, self-care, um, awareness in the moment, you know, which takes a lot of skill and a lot of time in therapeutic processes to not get re-triggered over and over by the daily events
2: that are happening in our world right now. But I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up triggers again, because I, because you sh- like, this is a full circle. Theo, you, you shared, you were triggered. Theo shared, he was triggered. He's got to stay away from it. Carolyn shared, she was triggered. I'll share my own experience in a second, but then Theo, you also shared that, you were able to get to a place of compassion, empathy after you're triggered by, of how do we work on this? And, and what I wish,
3: would... which, which, which I was able to take care of myself in the moment. Right. Right. Yes. But I, but it took, it took years I, oh, and no years doubt. and years of therapy. That's what I'm saying is <laughs> that, is that, you know, there's this perception out there that when you get tagged or labeled, with some type of mental disorder, that there is a magic pill yes. that you can take that's make going to make it go all the way. No, we're way more complicated than that. We're <laughs> may, way more evolved than
2: that. But when we uh, what I want to dive into, Theo, because the, obviously you know I'm I'm with you on the magic pill and the this is mm-hmm. and, and Carolyn said it well. We bring our trauma wherever we go with us. The triggering thing and having so many people who aren't healed and tying that back to the question that I had for Reggie on as a person of color, we have two people of color on this call. We have two white people on this call, right? It's it. I can't say it any more clearly than that. And when I watch the news media and when I watch opinions and I hear the volatility with which people talk about this 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 event and then events like it, There's never a meeting of the minds. There's never a coming together. There's never a compromise. There's never a common understanding. And my belief on it is we have so many people who get triggered by the event that when we get into that animal brain of ours, when we're triggered, there is no cognitive, logical prefrontal cortex thought happening where we can come together and go, let me understand this from another person's perspective. Let me hear them out. So I'll use... I mentioned I was going to go into my perspective. I'm a white dude. Okay, I'm one of the white, the two white people on this call. I mentioned that before. And so I got to go, okay, it was a black man who was killed. I didn't grow up in a black family. What did I grow up? I grew up in a Jewish family. What was ingrained in my head? The same way that Reggie was talking about how his parents used to say, act this way when a police officer pulls you over. Make sure that you, you you're standing up. Make sure you're polite, all this stuff. That never had to be explained to me as a young white man. But the Holocaust should never happen again. And look out for anti-Semitism and be on the lookout for that. That was ingrained in me at a young age, peppered, 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 peppered. So when I see, for example, Deshaun uh, Jackson in the NFL use a quote from Hitler, that triggers me, right? And at, But, okay, I've done the work on myself. I can calm down a little bit. And then I watched the Sean bring Holocaust survivors onto his Instagram live. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Like there's a way to come to the middle. There's a way to understand each other here. And what upsets me so much when I hear the volatility, some of it is baiting. Let's be honest. People play a role and, and they get a certain amount of followers by, by playing that role on both sides of the equation. Okay. But I need to Theo needs to other people need to go, Whatever the numbers say, and this is what I was sharing with Carolyn last night, let's say there are these statistics out there, because I know people are going to listen to this and they're going to go, Eric, I've read statistics where, because it's been shared with me, there's no more people of color killed by you know, officers, You know, vice versa, the numbers don't play it out. And where, where my head goes into it goes, I didn't grow up the way that Reggie just described, where I was told, look out for the police officer, look out for the... I didn't grow up where the media, even if it's the media was doing it, put up the image of Breonna Taylor, the image of Tyree Nickel over and over and over and over again. And that person looks like me that it's happening to. And so I think as a society where we have to get to is healing enough where we can take a step out of ourselves and go, what is someone else experiencing watching that happen? And if we can get to that place, we can have collaborative conversation. Why do our politicians not talk to each other about stuff? I'm not trying to take it on a tangent. They're power hungry because from their trauma that they're holding on to, this is what they love doing, and they want to dig their heels in. And they get triggered and don't want to talk about anything and compromise. Granted, a lot of it has to do with them. They want it. They want to be reelected, and, and they're playing to an electorate there. But Carolyn, as you're hearing that, like as I'm sharing that, I, I know we talked about it a little bit. So it's a little bit of like a an oop and a tee up to you. A- am I am I right in the assumption that the triggering that goes on with people? Am I am I too simplifying? Am I simplifying it too much that we get in well, our, think, our brain
5: like? I that? think Theo is trying to lay it out for everyone because you can't go from um, trauma to healing. And then suddenly you have this expanded consciousness and you have compassion uh, because, first of all, you got to be aware that you've had trauma. And of those 63 to 100 percent of people who've had trauma, very few of them are aware. I mean, I, I work with people with addictions in eating disorders. Who, all almost all of whom have trauma, and there was a Canadian who's my hero in the addiction space. It's Gabor Mate. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. And I've been following him. Well, actually, I had him you, on. You
2: wrote, a, you wrote the forward for Theo's book, just so you know how that. Oh, some I'm so to
5: jealous. Through. Well, yeah, I, I had. I, my... I spent
3: I spent two hours in a car with them. Oh. I would which give was a pretty <laughs> awesome experience
5: yeah well, before he became famous in America I interviewed him on my radio program years and years ago so anyway I love that guy but you know most people listening don't realize that their addiction is related to trauma that their eating disorder is related to trauma that their cancer is related to trauma heart disease you know all of the big 5 Killers in America are, have their roots in trauma. So we we have to start with awareness and then people have to do their own work, which as Theo says, it's it's not a one and done. You know, a lot of people go to treatment for 30 days and then they think, oh, well, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to do anything else. No, it's ongoing. Like Harville, I am today, I've recently dealt with stuff that happened when I was eight years old. And it wasn't the first time that that came up. So and, you know, I've I've spoken to you, Eric, that I did the TEDx pleasant growth talk on intergenerational trauma. So not only do we need to be aware of the trauma that's happened in our own lives, but when I looked at my family tree and I saw that in every generation one of our kids was either committing suicide, had an addiction, you know, in other words, their lives were being derailed by trauma. And you you look at that, and then you have to look at, okay, well, there's also intergenerational and historical trauma. So it has to start with awareness. And then it has to start with a person's commitment to doing trauma work. And in my experience, they there aren't that many people who are really willing To get down and dirty. They they want to say, okay, well, I saw a therapist, you know, for a few months. And so I did my trauma work. And I'm like, no,
2: (laughs) that's not how it
5: works.
2: (laughs) We are we are so behind as a country, as a world. But I'm going to lay out for everyone out there just some numbers that I hope are helpful. If, if we're right at this assumption that it's 100% of people have been through some kind of trauma, let's even take the ACE study number and say it's 63% just for the purposes of practice here. Only 10% of the population in the United States goes to therapy. And in that 10%, Dr. Ross knows as well, most of our therapists are not trauma-informed therapists, okay? So that means the 63% who've been traumatized, who are carrying these things around with them, only ten. Temp- so, so we got fifty-three percent not going to see anyone. Okay, yeah. you got the ten percent who are going, and the gold standard in the majority. I don't know the exact number of those visits are. Here's your pill, so med management, and here's your talk therapy. So sit and talk about it because I'm going to unwind your 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 uh, tangled up ball of yarn that's in your head. I'm going to do it for you when I sit across the couch from you, and we see these outcomes like the violence, like the the murders like the suicides going up like the overdoses going up and people go why 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 is this contagion effect and i'm not trying to downplay contagion and stuff like that and i don't know how it real is i want people to understand like when you hear us talk and say the word trauma over and over and over again it's not because we like hearing ourselves and like saying that word it's because it's pervasive and what has been taught to us about what mental health is is it only applies to 20 percent of people It's those people who are mentally ill. And to Theo's point, you wake up one day because genetically you were predisposed to it and you have it or you don't.
5: Yeah,
1: We
2: have to shift that perspective away from people. Why does Reggie go and tell his story all the time? Why does Theo go and tell his story all the time? Why am I out at schools telling my story all the time? Because story is what connects us and it gets people to take this and I'm making this motion where I'm, I'm, I'm blocked off. I'm not letting anyone in and start to let their hands down a little bit and be open.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back
2: When you were at that event two nights ago and you're talking to people, you'd never seen a Torah before in your life, right? It was like, took a picture of it for everyone who wants to go on our Instagram. Yeah, no, not at all. (laughs) But but you opened up and you shared your pain of sexual abuse. I mean, there was a cascade of questions coming to you one after the other because you opened up yourself to them. Right, Mm -hmm. And and I, 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 as you were talking, I wanted to interrupt during it, but it was such a beautiful moment that I didn't. It reminded me of the first time I ever spoke to Theo in 2017, where Theo told me about writing his book. And when he wrote the book and he opened up about what he went through, not what his label was, everyone was coming up to him going, me too, me too, me too, me too, over and over and over again. And I got chills when I heard that. For everyone who doesn't know the story, this is before the Alyssa Milano movement. So Theo's telling me this literally a month before the Alyssa Milano story comes out. So when I'm hearing me too, I go, Theo, like, do you realize that guy said a thousand words to you just by saying two words? And like in Theo's typical dry humor, uh, sarcasm, he goes, why do you think I've been doing what I've been doing the last 10 years? That guy (laughs) showed me the greatest level of courage I've ever seen in my life. Right. And well, the organization, our organization was going to be called Me Too until Me Too got taken. Same here ends up, I think, working out for the better. There's more alliteration off the S. Same it makes us feel more collaborative than me does. But that's what we're talking about here. And the reason why Carolyn's coming from the standpoint of a mother, coming from a standpoint of a doctor who's saying, I see it in all my patients who are addicts uh um you know bipolar depression that there's an underlying thing theo's saying it was in me and my rage had to come out on the hockey rink reggie's saying it was in me and the only you know when reggie was telling a story he couldn't talk to his coach in college about it because his coach was a narcissist and like was not allowing him to open up and share he, he finally found a girlfriend that like gave him the safe haven to be able but his only way of talking was with his hands and beating the crap out of people on the field. If anyone's wondering why we're having this epidemic of violence and all these awful outcomes, it's because we've got this unresolved stuff that we're not dealing with. So if you think we're talking about this at nauseum, it's because we're trying to wake people up. Yeah, that was the same thing,
4: too, as far as even when I went and did my two treatment center states. You know, there was on the outside there's hardly anybody that i can really relate to i'm this you know former nfl guy you know this guy was a business guy this lady you know worked in the schools this person did was a student this person did that they were you know this person has a sex addiction this person is on alcohol this person is on pills this person has traumatic uh, brain injury you know etc 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 and the thing that really Brought us all together because it was one of the best experiences of my life. But the the commonality was that pain, and the reason, and like I I dealt with my pain with my fists, just like you said. They dealt with their pain with drugs, alcohol, whatever, whichever, whichever. But at the core of it, it was the same thing, and it's that unresolvedness, and then the fact too that when it comes to the skills that. The coping skills and, and even being able to talk about this, like having the, the skills to just talk about it, to get it out, the education that's there for them, the support systems that are there, the communities that are there, that, that can support these people who have gone through these traumatic experiences, it's not there how it should be. And then the fact is too, on top of it not being there, we get hit with incident after incident after incident after incident. And we're getting bombarded with all this traumatic, you know, material through social media. And you can just go through clip after clip after clip, you know, and you can watch 20 clips in in two minutes of all these terrible things. And we're being bombarded. So it's further putting us down in that in that little hole of you know just darkness and that we have yet to try and get ourselves out of that's why you know theo talks that's why i talk that's why you know the other people you talk eric because it's because through the understanding of another person's pain you can it humanizes each other it humanizes them to you and you to them and now you guys can help build each other up, and then it helps form those bonds of community that are so needed nowadays in a country that's more divided than it's ever been, in communities where people are of different color.
5: I think the yeah. thing that you're mentioning also, though, is just that the more we're bombarded with trauma, the studies show that the more desensitized we get. Instead of becoming more empathetic, we become you know, less empathetic because we're just... we. We can't handle the barrage of, of violence and trauma mm-hmm. that's thrown at us.
3: Yeah, and and the reason why I do this is because I don't want to die. That's the only reason why I do this, because I can get into and places. You a, and you have
2: a good heart, but keep going.
3: <clears throat> and I get myself in my own head in some really crazy places. And it's, it's my vulnerability that saves my life because I'm able to express sadness. I'm I'm able to express negative emotions to my friends, to my audiences on this podcast, right? And I really believe that that's the key. The key is being vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, it creates safety for other people. It's that simple. And then when you have safety, that's when the magic of healing happens is when people relate their stories to each other, you know, like in 2009, when I wrote my book, like I had no idea what the hell I was getting myself into. And then, and here I am, I land in, you know, probably one of the biggest epidemics on the planet, which is child sexual abuse. And nobody's talking about it. And then I just get absolutely run over by people everywhere I go because they don't have a space and they, they see me talking about my own experience and they go, I can talk to that guy because he's not going to judge me. He's not going to ridicule me. He's only going to love me. He's only going to take care of me. He's only going to be present. He's going to listen to what I have to say. And that's, you know, in the mental health space, it's no different. You know, people are out there alone, suffering in silence, you know, all the time. And and until we create that place, which which is what we're all trying to do here, having this conversation is, is to have tough conversations that people don't want to have. Takes a lot of
2: courage. Mm -hmm. It does. does. And it, you know, there's, I, I just, I, I look at the screen and I go so many different types of people and yet so much commonality. And that's what gives me hope because it's like, if, if we could have gone through what we went through and each of us have our stories, And yet we have this common thread that binds us. And Theo's um, rattling cry is we collect people, right? He's like, if we all had business cards and we had to say, what was our, (laughs) what was our job description, you know, on the business card, although you usually put that on your resume or whatever, but what's our job description on the business card? We collect people. And that's because when you open up and you're vulnerable, people feel like, They found a place that they're safe and they don't ever want to leave once they're safe because like, it's not fun out there when I'm isolated. I'm by myself. And I think I'm the only one that's going through it. And the labeling, the bucketing into, I mean, we have someone who works with us. She's, she does some of our social media stuff. And for the longest time, Eric, I have OCD and no one else other than people of OCD will ever understand me. And it was like, I, we kept going to the well, like we were like arm wrestling in a verbal way. Like it's not the OCD. It's not the OCD. It's not the OCD. It's the underlying thing. And then eventually once she saw it, she's like, Oh my God, I can, I can heal with all these other people who don't just have OCD, right? Don't just have the label. And that's what I hope people are taking away from this. I hope people heard you know, when Carolyn said the JFK, RFK, MLK thing, the word trauma sounds scary to people. When when Theo first shared it with me, I didn't know exactly what trauma was. So I was like, do I really have that? Like, what is that? And, and Carolyn gave a great definition of it with being caught in that fight flight mode. If something for everyone listening out there, if something as simple as the major loss of a public figure. So let's use the JFK assassination example. You're a young kid, or you're even an adult and you're like, Oh, the president's untouchable. They have secret service around them. And then all of a sudden they're not untouchable. That freaks your nervous system out. That's trauma. So if people can open up their eyes to what trauma is, they can go, Oh, well, we all experienced that. So we all, who were alive during that time went through that. Well, isn't that similar to what happened in 9-11? Isn't that similar to what happened with the DeMar Hamlin situation? And then you can take it away from the public sphere of a public event and a, and a, and a global event, and you can go, oh, well, that feeling of overwhelm of, I can't believe that just happened. I feel surreal and out of the moment right now. Guess what? That happens when your great uncle passes away who you thought was in the greatest shape in the world. And now all of a sudden you get a call from your parent that they're no longer here. And you're like, what just happened? Like, how's that possible? That's trauma. Right. And, and, and I'm not in fairness to be the definition of trauma. Trauma is not the event. It's what happens in your body. Right.
5: In response to the event. Yeah. What was that, Carol? It's what happens in your body in response to the response. Right. Yeah. And, and, that, and it's, it's something that does happen to all of us. But if you're a child and it happens and you don't have a supporting parent, then it makes it more traumatic for you as an adult. That's a little different. For you know? sure.
2: Well, I think all of us, unfortunately, have experienced that. And and I, I just thank each of you for this, because as we have these conversations, the the overall global conversation that we're having keeps developing um reggie's your second time on <laughs> carolyn your first time on but you know want you to keep coming back and the goal is let's keep taking topics that keep coming up and looking at it through this lens because that's what normalized it that's what is going to create what Theo's describing of collecting people collecting people collecting people we're not trying to collect people because we want to have a joe rogan size audience so that's nice we're collecting people because the more people we can get to be part of this which by the way Hopefully this line resonates. It's it's a club that everyone in the world is already a member of. They just don't all know it yet. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. Let people know what the club is and that you're welcome into it. And you're a part of it, and you're a member. So on behalf of the together,
5: yeah. it's not as scary of a club. Yeah. Yes. When you're
2: together. <laughs> Holding hands and 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 working through this. I I, I you and,
3: and we we are the greatest warriors on the planet. 100%. Yeah.
2: We are doing God's work. Yep. Well, yeah. you know, Theo's line is the first ones through the walls get bloody. So <laughs> that's uh that's what's been happening, but it but you get bloodied but you also get the nice warm bath water that washes it off in the in the thank yous and the you saved my lives and the I feel connected to you messages that come with it. So it's it's amazing. So <laughs> I'm upset that Darren couldn't be with us because this is an important topic and we try to have all three of us on each of them. But on behalf of our guests, Dr. Carolyn Ross, uh, Reggie Walker, this is Eric Hewson, Theo Fleury, another episode We're All A Little Crazy and we will see you next week. Thanks.